Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and our passage this morning is just two verses, 11 and 12, but there's a lot here, and we'll have no trouble filling our time with these two verses. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Let's begin by reading this passage together, and I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you as the lawgiver and judge. And we pray that as we read your word, that we would be changed this morning. That our heart, our attitude, our behavior would become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we study this passage, that our lips would be made clean, that we would be purified of unrighteous speech, unrighteous judgments. And we ask that you would bring conviction and bring healing through your word, that we might become more like you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning in our passage, in our time of studying God's Word, I hope what we have is a passage that will be transformative for our body. James deals directly with our speech in a very practical way and explains why the Christian should be utterly different from the world in the way that we speak of others and the way that we judge others. I hardly need to say that in our day and age, there are a lot of people speaking evil against one another. But James is not here focused on the world. He's focused upon Christians. He's focused upon the church. And he's going to explain in convicting detail why it is so important for us not to speak against others and why our judgments should be categorically different from the world's. Let's begin our study by looking again at the first sentence in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This is the first stage of James's argument. There'll be three stages. And this first stage is prohibition. Prohibition. Do not speak evil against one another. James begins his argument with a clear and unqualified prohibition. Do not speak against one another, brothers. When James says this, though, he's echoing the Old Testament and the teaching of Christ. Already in James, he has referred to what he calls the royal law. 
And in so doing, he's echoing the second greatest commandment. We've looked at this a number of times, so we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but turn back to Leviticus chapter 19 so that we can have this fresh in our minds as we look at James's teaching. Leviticus chapter 19, and we will just read a few verses. If you're If you're looking at Leviticus 19, you know the passage ends with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. That is what Jesus says is the second greatest commandment, and it's only found in Leviticus chapter 19. So whenever there's a reference to love your neighbor as yourself, right away in our minds, we should be going back to Leviticus 19. Earlier, James had said in 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. He's already spoken of this, and now he's going to draw on this context of the royal law. So Leviticus 19, starting in verse 15, starting in verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Now James quotes this verse in verse, this, uh, in verse 12 of James 4. Who are you to judge your neighbor? I, the same phrase that's right here. Then it, going on in verse 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Another way to translate slanderer, someone who speaks evil against his brother. You shall not go around as someone who speaks evil against or among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Both of those references, the slander and the standing up against the life of your neighbor, are forms of speaking evil. In fact, the phrase speaking evil could be readily translated slander. Do not slander one another, brothers. Go on in verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So keep these words in mind as we go through our passage in James. Speaking evil against someone is an injustice, and it is a failure to love your neighbor as yourself. James also echoes the words of Christ. He also echoes the words of Christ. A very similar argument is made by Christ in Matthew chapter 7. Turn there just very briefly so we can have that in mind as well. Matthew chapter 7. You've heard this. This is one of the most frequently cited passages of the Bible, mainly by or by unbelievers. They've all heard this verse and they'll use it on you if you're talking to them about something they're doing wrong. (laughs) Matthew chapter 7. We'll just look at the first two verses, but keep the whole thing in mind. Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we'll stop there, but keep this in mind as we study James's argument. There's one other passage that I think certainly influences what James has to say, and that's found in Matthew 12. Just flip over a few pages to Matthew 12, where Jesus says we will have to give account for every careless word we speak. If that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. You brood of vipers. Where did James learn how to speak? (laughs) I think his older brother. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So Jesus says, why do you speak evil things? Because there's evil in your heart. Why do you speak good things? Because there's good in your heart. The evil person brings forth evil. The good person brings forth good. And he says in no uncertain terms, we will have to give account for every careless word we speak. And we're going to be judged by our words. I think James has at least these three passages in mind in the background as he gives his opening prohibition. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. That's his opening prohibition. Now let's look at the next stage of his argument. We've heard the prohibition. Now we have to consider, number two, the implication. The implication that James brings out is you are speaking evil against the law. Look at the second sentence in verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now that statement, I don't think, is readily evident to us. I don't think, without clarification or explanation, most of us would say, it stands to reason that if you judge your brother, you judge the law. It's meant to cause us to scratch our heads and say, wait, what? Why? When? Now, we'll get to those answers in a few minutes. But let's look first at some observations. If you condemn your brother, you condemn the law. That's what he says. So let's make a few observations. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, before I make the observations, just so you know, I'm not sure why. I think it's just for repetition. We have the same word three times in this verse. Don't speak evil against your brother. And then twice in this sentence, the one who speaks evil against a brother speaks evil against the law. They're all identical. And the ESV decided to leave out evil when it says the one who speaks against a brother. 
Same word. I think it was just too repetitive too many, too many times, so they cleaned it up a little bit. But there is no distinction between these three references. So let's make some observations and then try to explain what James means. First, notice the introduction of judge. Notice the introduction of judge. James's initial prohibition was, do not speak evil against one another. But here he says, the one who speaks against or judges. And by adding in judge here, James is clarifying what he means by speak evil against someone. He's clarifying what his definition of speak evil against what judge is. Second observation, notice the shift from brother to law. Notice the shift from brother to law. This is the obvious one. I don't think anyone missed it the first time I read it. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. That's obvious. I'm sure you caught that shift the first time I read it. But his argument hinges on that. Someone who judges his brother, James is saying, judges the law. How? When? We'll get there. Third observation. Notice the shift from or to and. Notice the shift from or to and. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. That's a more subtle shift, and at least for myself, I did not pick up on that the first few times that I read it. But I think it makes a major difference in meaning. If you either speak evil against or judge your brother, then you both speak evil against and judge the law. He's combining those two in regard to the law. If you speak evil against a brother, you judge the law. If you judge your brother, you speak evil against the law. All right, so observations made. Now let's try to explain it. Let's try to figure out what he is saying. Explanation. First, if James forbids all judgment, he condemns himself. If James forbids all judgment, he condemns himself. Now, we could look at many verses to prove this, but just consider what James said seven verses ago in verse four. You adulterous people. Now, that sounds a little bit like a judgment to me. And it is. It is a judgment. You've been here as we've studied James. You know that James regularly judges us. He regularly judges the readers. So whatever James means, I think it's clear that he's not saying all judgments under all circumstances are wrong. That's not his point at all. That's further confirmed by the fact that James, if he forbids all judgment, he contradicts the Lord. If James forbids all judgment, he contradicts the Lord. An absolute prohibition of judgment would not only contradict what James does, it would contradict what Jesus did, and it would contradict what Jesus tells us to do. John 7, 24, we don't need to turn there. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgments. 
So Jesus tells us we have an obligation not to judge by appearances, but we have an obligation to judge with right judgment. Jesus made it clear that we should judge with right judgment. So James is not forbidding all types of judgment. That's not his point at all. James is narrowing our focus to a specific kind of judgment. And it's a kind of judgment for which it is clear the one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks against the law and judges the law. When is it that we judge the law? By judging our brother. That's not always the case. When do we make a judgment against our brother that results in a judgment against the law? I'm not sure any of you have ever thought that you judged the law. I'm sure many of you have, have never thought, I've never been guilty of judging the law. I've not obeyed it. I haven't followed it, but I've never stood in judgment over it. Not intentionally anyway. If a brother commits adultery and I go to him and tell him his adultery is evil and sinful, am I judging the law? No. If my neighbor comes to me and confesses that he stole my car and I agree with him and say, you shouldn't have stolen my car, that was wrong of you to do, am I speaking evil against the law? That's not what James is saying. It's when I speak against a brother or judge my brother apart from the law, wrongly, based on my own righteousness, that is when I'm judging my brother and I'm also judging the law. Let me illustrate. If you find out a young married man from our church spent $1,000 last month on video games, what would you say? <laughs> you guys have something to say, I can hear. <laughs> Most of us would raise our eyebrows. We would be surprised, bothered. But what would you say? If you're ready to say he should not have done that, or that was wrong, or the more mitigated, that's not something a good Christian would do then you're speaking evil against your brother and you're judging the law. Does the law say you shall not spend $1,000 a month on video games? No, but we just know that's not right. If you know that it's wrong to spend $1,000 on video games, even though the law says nothing about that, then you are condemning the law as inadequate to convict this guilty brother. That's what James is saying. In our self-righteousness, when we say that something is wrong apart from the law, then we judge and speak evil against the law itself. That's what James is getting at. This is in your box. If we condemn a brother... When the law does not, then we condemn the law as inadequate to deal rightly with that brother. That's powerful. When we condemn our brother, and James is going to end with neighbor, so I think this applies beyond the church, but when we condemn a brother 
and the law doesn't, we're telling God your law doesn't work. You forgot something and I know what it is. Now, some of you, maybe most of you, I hope most of you, were wise enough to hold off on judgment regarding our video game brother. You thought something like, I hope, it depends, or maybe, or could you explain a little bit more? Those are all crucial clarifications. If you found out that this man was in the habit of spending this much money on video games, that they were all for himself, that he'd lost his job because he wasn't showing up for work, that his poor wife was neglected, and that all the purchases were made on credit cards, which were all maxed out, then you would be a lot closer to dealing with what the law does condemn. It's not hard for us to say, the if he did this, then the law says that. Every one of those if, this, then, this statements points back to the law. The law condemns sluggards. The law condemns neglecting your wife. It does. We can look at the verse if you don't believe me. Now, we might be closer to right judgment if we connect what was done to the law. But when we say, I don't need the law, I know that's wrong. Now what we're actually saying is the law is no good. The law is not sufficient. It's inadequate. When we come to any judgment apart from the law, we are saying someone is guilty and we know they're guilty even though the law doesn't condemn them. That condemns the law. Now, I think in your workplaces, in our society, there are many examples where laws are inadequate. You've probably all had experiences of this where you know someone did something that was wrong, but there isn't a law against it in our land. You're at work and someone's doing something and you say, that just doesn't seem right. I think they're cheating and you talk to him, you talk to the boss, whatever, and well, there's no rule against it. I agree, it looks fishy, but there's no rule against it. The law in that case might be inadequate. But when we make moral judgments, what law are we judging? We're judging God's law, and that's why it is so wrong. And as it turns out, the young man had saved up that $1,000 over the past year. He purchased 50 video games, and he'd wrapped them up as presents, and he delivered every one of them to the children's hospital and used that as an opportunity to present the gospel to them. Oh, that's why the law doesn't say don't spend $1,000 on video games. So James forbids all judgment that does not come from the law. If it does not come from God's word, then it is a wrong judgment. When we judge apart from the law, we judge the law itself, and James condemns all such judgment. I give you that one example, but let me expand this to three categories, three main broad ways that this happens. How do we judge apart from the law? These are the types of judgment which end up speaking evil against the law. First, judgment that's based on lies. Judgment that is based on lies. 
malicious witnesses. Genesis 49, or not 49, what is it, 39? Like Potiphar's wife. How did Potiphar's wife get Joseph put in prison? She lied about him, outright lied about him. She spoke against him. She spoke evil against him. She judged him. He's guilty, and it was based on a lie. Now, I hope that's not hard for us to spot when we're lying about someone ourselves, but maybe the more subtle is when we twist and distort the truth. When we tell a story in such a way, you get this with the kids sometimes, you hear the story, so-and-so did this to me, and she said this, and they say it in such a contorted voice, a voice of condemnation, Really? Is that what they said? Well, and they clarify, that is exactly what's going on. They're lying. Why are they lying? Because they want you to condemn them. They want you to judge them. And it's all based on a lie. That's one example of when judgment is not based upon God's word. It's based on a lie. Second, judgment that is based on appearances. Judgment based on appearances. The Israelites said this of God. You just brought us out here to starve us. You brought us out into the wilderness so that we could die. They made that accusation against God. Why? Because he brought them out into the wilderness and they had nothing to eat and they had nothing to drink. And they came to a conclusion based on appearances. John 7.24 is very helpful Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgments. Those are hasty judgments. Judgments for which you don't have enough evidence, but you go ahead and make your judgment anyway. Our society is filled with these judgments. Almost everything you read on social media is this. Now, I say almost, it's just a high percentage. Not saying all of it is. But oh my goodness, whatever post comes out, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this, the Democrats did this, the Republicans said this, and right away what comes? Judgment, condemnation. Do you know enough information yet? Are you sure or are you basing your judgments on appearances? Jesus says, judge with right judgment, not based on appearances. We'll often read someone's nonverbal communication We read their halo data, and then we come to a conclusion based on that. We speak against them, we speak evil against them, and we judge them based on halo data. You say hi to John at church, and he walks right by you without saying anything. So on your way home, you conclude John is unloving, he's uncaring, he's heartless, he's (sighs) self-absorbed. And then when your husband suggests that we invite John over for dinner... You say evil. I'd rather not. John just doesn't seem like a godly example for the kids. What is that? The judgment. You're speaking evil against John. Or maybe in passing you say, this is the passive-aggressive way of doing it. I don't really like John very much. Please ask me why so I can tell you. But what you don't know is that John's deaf in his left ear and he walked right by you and didn't hear a word you said. 
And you come to all these conclusions based on appearances. Oh, he ignored me. Oh, he didn't even say hi. He didn't even notice me. Condemnation. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgments. Third, a third way that we can judge apart from the law is judgment that's based on opinions. Judgment that's based on opinions. I think this is probably the type of thing James has in mind most specifically. Judgment that's based on our own opinions. Many of these judgments have to do with areas of conscience where genuine Christians can come out on different and opposite sides. One person concludes he should not vote in the presidential election because all of the candidates are wicked. So he decides, I'm going to abstain. I cannot in good conscience vote for either one of them. They're so wicked. And another concludes, I need to vote for the least wicked option. I'm going to go ahead and do that. If either one of them judges the other, they're judging the law because the law doesn't say you can't do this or you can't do that. The law doesn't deal with that. They condemn them. And what one person did in faith is then brought into judgment. Or one concludes he should receive a COVID vaccine because he loves other people and he wants to protect other people from the virus. Good. Another concludes he should not receive the vaccine because he loves other people and wants to protect them from a controlling government. Both act in love. Both act in faith and they come to totally different opposite conclusions. No problem. But if one judges and condemns the other based on his own opinion and his own judgment, it's themselves and not the law that they're basing their judgment on. Why do I think you shouldn't do that? Because I didn't do it. Okay, but we are different beings, right? How do we know when we've gone too far? When God's law condemns something, then our judgment is right. But if it's the basis of our own opinions, our own preferences, what we think you should do, who do we think then is the judge? We are. And by, by making that judgment, we condemn God's law. I think we have enough time, so let's turn back to Numbers chapter 12. This is a fascinating passage. Numbers chapter 12. And we read about a condemnation based on opinion or preference, you might say. Just very, very interesting. Uh, I don't want to spend too long here. Numbers 12, verse 1. And notice the language. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. Oh, snap. Now, I don't know, maybe Cushite doesn't come to mind, but Cushite was on the east coast of Africa. So by calling her a Cushite woman, there's no doubt what, what they were saying is she's got dark skin. 
They spoke against her or against Moses because he chose to marry a dark-skinned person. So they're not happy with it. They don't think it's right. Now, I don't know what their argument was. Maybe they said, well, Cushites have a different culture. We, we just want to obey the law of God. Maybe their culture is going to get in the way of, I don't think so. Verse two, and they said, this is their conclusion based on their judgment. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And it's true that the Lord had spoken through Aaron and had spoken at least in part through Miriam as she led the congregation in singing and dancing when they got over the uh, Red Sea. Sorry, dancing was included. And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And he had to have been to write that verse. I could not write that verse. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like you don't talk about things that are too, you know, far out. He wrote it. Verse four, and suddenly, very important, suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. I'll give you a judgment. I'll give you a rendering. Verse, uh, at the end of verse four, and the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. That's what I do. If I make myself known to a prophet, I give him a dream. I give him a vision. Not so with my servant Moses. That's not how I've communicated with Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I don't speak in a vision. I don't, I don't speak in a dream. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And then get this, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why did you not fear to speak again? How could you condemn him? Verse 9, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. And then we won't go through it, but the punishment for them condemning Moses marrying a dark-skinned person, they got leprosy. Miriam broke out in leprosy and we're told what kind of leprosy, the kind that makes your skin white. <laughs> You want white skin, Miriam? I'll give it to you. That's what he's saying. So in Numbers chapter 12, we have an example of judgments that are based on opinion. And how does the Lord feel about it? The anger of the Lord is kindled against them. He is furious with them. So back in James 11, when we judge our neighbor apart from the law, when it's based upon lies or appearances or on our own opinions, we ultimately judge the law of God as inadequate, insufficient, even wrong. 
Second implication uh, at the end of verse 11, if you judge the law, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. A second implication that James draws is if you judge the law, then clearly you are not a doer of the law. Remember what James said back in 122, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And now he says, if we judge our brother apart from the law, we act as a judge over the law. And if we're a judge over the law, what are we clearly not doing? We're not doing the law. We're not following the law. And that brings us to James's ultimate conclusion in verse 12. In verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The ultimate conclusion that James makes is when you speak evil against a brother, when you judge a brother, what you're ultimately doing is usurping God. You are taking God's place. You're pulling him down and you're putting yourself up as if you yourself were the judge. The ultimate problem of speaking evil against your brother, apart from the law, is that you're taking God's place. James says there is one and only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one. There's only one ultimate judge. There is only one ultimate lawgiver. So when we judge apart from the law, acting as though we're a law unto ourselves, as if we're the lawmaker, as, as if we're the judge, then we ignore God's place. And then James pauses and adds in two characteristics of God, the lawgiver and the judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. The one who is able to save and to destroy. So the first description is that one, that lawgiver, that judge, he is able to save from condemnation. He is able to save from condemnation. And that totally contradicts our own judgment. Because when we condemn someone, what have we said? When we place judgment on someone else, that was, that was wrong. Even though God's law doesn't. We're acting as though there is no room for God to come in and save. God can't do anything. We're done. We've already come to our conclusion. We act as the final judge, as if no salvation is possible. If we recognize that we're under the law giver, and if somebody does break the law, God's law, what is our heart for them? It's restoration. We want to see them turn from that. We want to see them repent of that sin, not see them ultimately condemned for that sin. And so James reminds us, the lawgiver and judge is able to save us from condemnation. And then also, that one is able to destroy in condemnation. That one is able to destroy in condemnation. When we judge our brother apart from the law, we not only neglect his salvation, but we also do not make room for his wrath. And we are told, leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. God's judgment is superior to our judgment far superior to it. 
His wrath is far greater than our own wrath. But when we start to judge one another based on our own opinions and our own uh, preferences, then what we're saying is, I don't have time to wait for that. It's, it's not right to wait any longer. It has to be dealt with now. Says who? Says you. And you put yourself in the place of God, but it is God who is able to destroy. Let God destroy. That's not your place. We dare not act as the final judge in this life. So when we judge apart from the law, we forget that there's one lawgiver and judge. And James then concludes to this stinging question, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? When we judge our neighbor, what do we say about the law? It's insufficient. It's inadequate. And if we say that about the law, we're not doers. And what do we say about the lawgiver? Get him out of there. We need a better lawgiver. We need a better judge. I'll volunteer. That's what we're saying. And James says to that, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who do you think you are judging your neighbor? So let's close with these three points. If you judge your neighbor, you are judging the law. He said that. And then two, if you judge the law, you are usurping God. It's not too much of a stretch, fairly straightforward. If you condemn the law, you think you're superior to the law. And if you think you're superior to the law, then who have you replaced? The law giver. So you're taking God's place. And then finally, Three, when you judge your neighbor, then you are usurping God. Now, if I said, if you judge your neighbor, you usurp God, you'd probably say, huh? I don't get it. That doesn't follow. And that's why James spells out each one of these steps. When you judge your neighbor apart from the law, you're judging the law itself. When you judge the law itself, you're taking God's place. Therefore, whenever you judge your neighbor apart from the law, you are usurping God the place of God. You're taking the place of God. Let me pray. I'm going to call the men forward for our time of communion. Let me pray before we do. Lord God, we recognize that we are unclean. Our minds and our mouths are filled with unrighteous judgments. I pray that you would cleanse us of that iniquity, that we would have mouths that are purified, that do not render judgments based on our own opinions or based on lies or based on appearances, but rather may any judgment that comes out of our mouth be based upon your word, recognizing that you are the ultimate lawgiver, and if you say it's wrong, it is, and if you don't, it's not recognizing that you will ultimately judge and you are able to save. We pray that we would be a people who are very slow to judge, who are very slow to speak against another brother. And whenever we do, may it be only from your word, and not our own selves, our own righteousness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.